Hello, dear listener. Editing Bay Gabe here again. Um, so this episode was actually recorded the same day as the Madeira episode. And if you listen to the Madeira episode, you know that we had a little bit of an issue with the audio and some clicking. It is still here in this episode. It is a little bit less intense, thankfully. But hopefully you do not find that distracting. Just wanted to get in ahead of the episode and say we do apologize for the audio quality. Hopefully by next episode we will have figured out what exactly went wrong. Uh, Anyway, let us get into port. Hello and welcome to Laid Back Lush, a little podcast where we talk about wine, beer, and spirits. I'm Michael, a former wine sales associate and vineyard worker. And I am Gabe. I am WSET Level 3 certified in wine, and I am also an administrator for a wine and spirits educating body. Please go ahead and give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at LaidbackLush in order to stay updated on our podcast as we continue going forward and trying to make these about every week or so. Mm -hmm. Today, we are going to be talking about something uh, springboarding off of our last episode's topic. In our last episode, we talked about Madeira, which is a fortified wine off of the coast of Portugal. And today, we are going to be talking about the other Portuguese wine, which is also fortified, called Port. Yes. Uh, So Port is a fortified wine that is made on the Iberian Peninsula in the country of Portugal itself, and it can be aged for various amounts of time and comes in several different styles. So today we are going to be talking about the land it is grown on, brief history, the production methods, our labeling terms, and uh, also some of the different types that can be produced from this. Yes. Um, So starting, Duro is the place where it is grown in Portugal. What can you tell us about Duro, Gabe? So Douro is the name of a river that runs through Portugal. There are actually two uh, cities on either side of the mouth of the Douro River, and these are historically huge uh, trade centers for Portugal, and that's part of how port wine picked up its popularity. Now, the vineyard area itself actually starts a couple of kilometers inland following the Douro River Valley on very steep terraces or socalcos. There's also a newer style of terrace that allows for mechanization called patamares. Uh, These socalcos, the traditional terraces, are so steep that they only allow for hand harvesting. They're very labor-intensive. Port overall is very labor-intensive, and that labor is actually in increasingly high demand because fewer and fewer people want to do it. Then we have some vineyards that are put on unterraced plots in some of the less steep areas, typically closer to the riverbed itself. These are called Vinha ao Alto. Uh, again, apologies for our Portuguese. We are not native speakers. So in terms of the soil content of the Dora region, it's going to be primarily rocky schist and granite soils. This helps to promote uh, lower root growth, actually, to reach the water table. These schist bedrocks have like cracks in them that the roots kind of have to find their way through to reach water yeah so very difficult terrain to grow in but once you have established vineyards your vines are pretty set for the most part obviously they still require much maintenance during the growing season then we also have our sub-regions so going from the ocean into the inland we have Baixocorgo. this is going to be kind of your a less prestigious appellation. This yeah. also happens to be where they get the most rainfall. Yes. 
So um, this is going to be low to mid quality wines produced here, or grown here, I should say. Uh, then we have the Kima Corgo. This is going to be a little bit more high quality grapes. And then we have our Douro Superior. This region is going to be your kind of top tier vineyards. Yeah, in lower, lower yield than the other two regions because the other two regions, they, they will grow more there mm-hmm. primarily because of the availability of water. But uh, in Duro Superior, you are going to have lower yields, higher quality. It's also much hotter and much drier. Yeah. So overall here, we're going to have a warm continental climate. The vineyards are going to get hotter and drier, as Michael just said, as they go farther inland. Fun fact, Port is the third oldest known AOC or Appellation d'Origine Controlée or Protected Designation of Origin. Um, I believe I said in the wine history episode that Port was the oldest. That is a mistake, so I'm going Mm. to redact that. So Chianti is actually the oldest. That was established in 1716. Takai is the second oldest, which Takai is a sweet wine out of the nation of Hungary. That was established in 1730. Port was established in 1756. So not too far behind these other appellations, but uh, still not the oldest, technically speaking. Just another little fun fact. Here in Virginia, we have Horton Vineyards. And I don't know how true this is, but I have been told by people at the winery that they are allowed to use port on their label legally because they got grandfathered in because Horton Vineyards has been around forever, basically. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And they actually got grandfathered in when some new EU laws came and kind of tightened the regulation on port because a lot of other countries are using port when it wasn't port. wasn't actually Portugal. port. Yeah. No, that makes sense. But apparently the, the saying goes that Horton can use port on their label and it's still legal. Even huh. though it's not from Portugal. I wonder what their reasoning was on that. If it was just like, oh, hey, you're old enough to do this. Or if there was yeah. something to do with uh, I'm not trade sure. routes or something. Yeah. That's interesting. So how did we get port? What's some brief history on that? So in Portugal, as we discussed in Madeira episode and as with the Douro River, uh, as I said, the mouth of the river is a huge trade hub. Yeah. And when... We had a little skiff, a little war, if you will, between France and Britain in the Middle Ages. A little war, if you will. Just a little war. How about we have... It's a lovely day for a little war. Would you you like a little war, darling? (laughs) Wee wee. (laughs) Wee wee. So the French and the English were fighting. um, I want to say this was in the 1700s. I apologize. I forgot to write this down. But basically, the French stopped selling cognac and wine to Britain, because of course. And so Britain said, where are we going to find wine? And so then they found port. And as with Madeira, the process of shipping wines led to wine spoiling, which then led to port producers fortifying their wines to keep them for the voyage. And that is essentially how port was um, developed, is is British investment primarily. (laughs) Because the British actually did. A lot of merchants actually came and started founding houses, port houses in Portugal of during this time. Did. Yeah, That's interesting. Oh, no. so there's, do you want to know a fun fact? I would love to know all the fun facts. There is a, a club. I don't remember what the club is called. But it is a club of exclusively old British dudes who all come from these lineages of port production. And it's like one of the most exclusive wine clubs in Portugal. But they're not even Portuguese. Oh, wow. 
they're just these British dudes that have come from a legacy of owning these port houses. And they all like get together. And it actually seems kind of fun because they have like a weekly luncheon where they like try vintage ports and try and like identify whose port is what and stuff. But it is so kind of like it's literally a club of just old white men. Like it does sound like fun, <laughs> but at the same time, like. It's also the- really pretentious. Yeah, well, it's pretentious. <laughs> and also like if I wanted to drink some of the port and stuff, I think I would want to be with the winemakers and the workers yeah. of the field, mm-hmm. you know. I yep. don't know. That's I, just me. I agree. Maybe just the people that actually know a bit about it. But it's not up to me. It's so, not up you to know. Me. Yeah. If uh, you are listening to this podcast and you are part of that club, though. We'll take an invite. Yeah, I'll take an invite. We you know? we don't promise to behave, but we will take an invite. Oh, no. No behaving will happen. <laughs> um, so that's interesting. So simply because of the fact that shipping to, to and from France was a shorter distance and then having to ship from all the way from the end of the Iberian Peninsula. They ended up having to develop the style of port simply for very practical reasons, yep. a lot like Madeira. Yes. That's fascinating. So what is the process of creation for the production of port? Well, a couple of things to know before you get into the nitty gritty details. Uh, port is nearly always going to be a red blend in particular. Mm. There are white ports out there, but they're pretty rare. So just know if you're buying port, red blend. It's going to be primarily made with five grapes. Those are going to be Tinta Barroca, Tinto Cao, Tinto Roriz, uh, which is also Tempranillo in Spain, Toriga Francesca, and then kind of the primary grape of the port trade is Toriga Nacional, which we actually grow some in Virginia, fun fact. A couple wineries have it. Technically, though, as I said, these are only the five main grapes. There are over a hundred varietals that are legally allowed in port. I've actually had these as just red wines themselves, mm-hmm. and they're phenomenal. A lot of port houses actually have varietal wines that are not port-style wines that they'll sell that are uh, these single varietal red grapes. So port starts with, well, obviously harvest first, right? Yeah, but then, which if you've never seen pictures of the Duro River. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, go ahead and do yourself a favor. Take five minutes today and just look up images of that. It's really just worth the five minutes it'll take. Yeah. So you start out after you harvest with a very short fermentation. And by short, I mean like 24 to 36 hours because port is sweet Mm. universally. It's a sweet wine. So we really need for that fermentation process not to convert all of those sugars into alcohol. Correct. Because this fermentation is so short, for frame of reference, most reds will have like a two-week fermentation versus two days. This is going to have to involve very highly extractive methods of getting color, tannin, flavor, aroma, compounds. Mm -hmm. You can listen more to our red winemaking episode in particular if you're curious about what extractive means and winemaking. But in terms of methods that are very extractive, the traditional method is foot treading, still used by many port houses today, actually. Don't worry, they wash their feet before they do it. But they literally just send a bunch of guys in and tread in this big concrete container on the floor. Is that the one thing that you are not going to want to personally witness? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it is. I thought that might be the case. Um, I actually, though, something I would like to witness is... Uh, Harvest time in any wine locale is going to be kind of a celebratory time of year normally. And uh, I have actually seen footage of people dancing in the 
treading vessels. Oh, that just sounds to, like fun. To, and I'm like, okay, I, I can overlook the fact that there are bare feet sloshing around in there. To, Ooh, don't say sloshing. Oh, not sloshing. It. Oh, I said it. Oh, And I don't regret it. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> you inflicted this on me. I'm going to turn it right It's literally the noise. I don't care about <laughs> what's happening. It's just the idea of, you know, like that awful yeah. sloshing noise. Yeah. But then we get into some more mechanical methods. Uh, So we have what's called piston plungers and robotic legates, which essentially will simulate foot treading with pistons and mechanical arms. Hmm. They're considered to be pretty much the same uh, quality wise as as foot treading is going to be. I mean, if you're going to use the same type of pressure and Mm -hmm. everything, then it's fine. Because the one thing that they, one of the reasons why feet, where the thing is because people are typically heavy enough to get liquid out, yep. but they're not heavy enough to uh, break seeds open, yes. and you don't want to break the seeds. Yeah, you need to be careful. Now, we also have a very fancy method called autovinifiers that have become more of a thing as our mechanical engineering has picked up. Autovinifiers, we talked about this, I think, very briefly in that Red Wine episode, but uh, again, they are a apparatus where there's a lower and an upper tank and you put the grapes in the or the must at least in the lower tank and as carbon dioxide because this is a sealed off tank as carbon dioxide builds up it pushes wine up into the upper tank and then there's a little pressure release valve that'll trigger and then all the wine will come back over the grape skins and this can do it's essentially a pump over several times an hour so this is a highly extractive process for what is needed because again you have to cut this fermentation off so quickly in order to preserve the sweetness of the natural sugars before you fortify that's interesting Uh, i'm curious if i've ever had a port that's actually used that method and if if there is a noticeable difference i don't know we're we're gonna have to yeah we should do some research we need to do some research some research so uh, after this process happens, it is then fortified with aguadente, or a neutral grape spirit. Uh, some people apparently also use brandy. I came across that, but I don't think that's very common. And this will fortify it up to about 20% ABV. So it can be up to 20%. If it's above that, then it has to be classified as something else, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So once we have this fortified wine, how then do we handle that in order to get to these various styles of port? Yeah, so port is not going to be vintage. I just kind of want to say that on the onset. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be, as I mentioned, these are red blends, right? And it's not just grapes. It's also across vintages. It's also across vineyard plots, all sorts of stuff. It goes on with blending and port. So unless otherwise stated, there is a style of port that is called vintage, which we'll get to here in a second. Uh, just don't go looking for a date on your bottles old oak for stylistic purposes is typically going to be used i don't know of anyone who uses new oak in port production these old barrels are called pipes in port Mm. production they're a little bit larger than your standard wine barrel these are primarily going to be used for your tawny styles and then stainless steel will be used to mature your ruby styles overall Mm. so what are ruby and tawny ports so starting with ruby ruby is going to kind of be the very base level port going to be in large part the most common cheapest typically lowest quality but there are some very high quality ruby ports out there as well don't get me wrong they can be enjoyable yeah uh, even if they aren't particularly oh yeah i mean they're still a nice dessert wine right so these are if it's just base level ruby only going to be aged about one to three years 
they're going to be very fruity as i said typically we'll get a little bit of a raisinated character out of them just because of how these wines are treated a little bit of chocolatiness going on sometimes but in general think very fruit forward berry like almost and fresh in terms of the port style and again that is going to be primarily stainless steel because you don't want the oak to mask any of that freshness Mm. then we move on to our tawny styles Tawny has been named after the color of tawny, um, which is a brownish, reddish, brickish kind of color. It got that color from oxidative maturation, at least for our higher quality tawnies. Overall, the profile of a tawny is going to be more raisinated, toffee, chocolate, and nuts, rather than that fruit profile that you get from Ruby. The basic levels of tawny are aged about the same as Ruby's are and they're color adjusted you just you don't get tawny from three years yeah and and even in a barrel that's just not really what happens so you will get color adjustment for very basic level tawnies now when we step up into age indicated tawnies that's where the quality level really starts to come in yeah so age indicators for tawny tend to go from 10 to 20 to 30 to 40 years they can go past that but 40 is kind of the maximum for most producers This is going to be, because remember, these are not vintage wines. So this is going to be the average age of the blend. Hmm. So for a 10-year tawny, there might be 8-year-old wine and then 12-year-old wine in that blend. And it just kind of averages out to 10 years. Because of how these wines work, these are not like Madeira, where you can leave it in the bottle for a long time. These are not meant to age in the bottle. All the aging has been done by the producer. They are the ones that do the aging. They are not expecting you to cellar these wines. So when you get a 10, a 20, a 30-year-old tawny, you need to drink it pretty soon after you purchase it. Don't don't lay this down in your cellar because it won't really improve at all. And it might, especially if you're not cellaring correctly, it could spoil. Now, when we do see these styles of wine, the tawny being aged for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, the character that we're looking for is for those tertiary characteristics to be coming in. Exactly, Um, yeah. With oxidative exposure, oxidative maturation, we're looking for baking spices, we're looking for uh, various things like chocolate, toffee. That's what is determining the quality of this tawny. Yeah, and so... For ports, tawny ports as well, you will also normally, because you are supposed to drink these soon after they are bottled, the bottling year will be on the label if there is an age indicator on that tawny. Then we get into our reserve ports. Now, reserve can be applied to tawny or ruby ports. It's a universal term. It's a loosely defined term in general. It basically just means that it's a higher quality overall, typically from better vineyards, um, more intensive winemaking, stuff like that. Honestly, the labeling term reserve is the most frustrating one in the wine world because yeah. it means something different everywhere you go. This one this one does need to be tasted by a panel before mm-hmm. it's approved for selling, so there is that. And for tawnies, this does not apply to the rubies, but for tawnies... They do have to be aged for a minimum of six years in order to have that reserve label put on them. So this is more along the the lines of a quality guarantee exactly. than anything else. Yes. So let's move into our vintage ports. Vintage ports have to be declared in the second year after harvest. 
So you have two years to decide if like, okay, this wine is really shaping up to be a vintage port. Because Let's go ahead and get it registered. It's like a registry, is that? Yeah, you have to register it with the governing body overseeing Portuguese wine. Interesting. Yeah. For vintage ports, these are kind of the top of the line for port across the board. They are only aged for up to two years, or sorry, two and a half years in barrel or steel. Both are acceptable. What the aging is supposed to do, the primary aging, is actually supposed to be in the bottle. So this is the inverse of our ruby and our tawnies, where it's like, drink it pretty much as soon as you buy it. For a vintage port, you lay this down for decades. That is how long these wines are meant to go. wow. Yeah. They're actually, sometimes they're called generational wines because people will buy a bottle for their grandchildren. That's how long these bottles are supposed to go for. See, that's sweet. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. That's a really cool idea. Um, They're also very expensive, though, so good luck getting your hands on them. Grandpappy left this for me. (laughs) Yeah. Because these vintage wines are not filtered at all, they will throw a very thick sediment deposit, so you have to decant these wines. If you're ever fortunate enough to try a vintage port, please, please, please have a decanter on hand and watch your sediment as it starts to get into the wine. Yeah. You normally, you want to leave about half an inch of wine in the bottle. That's about where the sediment will start to get in. Then we move into our subcategories of vintage wines, which is going to be, first of all, our late bottled vintage. So... This is a vintage wine, but instead of being just aged for two years and then going into a bottle, this is aged between four to six years. The reason for this is it's meant to be something more approachable at a younger age because if you try and drink a port before it's been aging for at least 10 years, it's kind of like high-quality Barolos and stuff like that in Mm -hmm. that regard where you're you're drinking it far too soon. This is meant to be something that is more appropriate to drink at a younger point. They can still age for quite a while if they are unfiltered. Most are filtered, and the style is going to be very similar to ruby ports. Mm. But again, just a very, very, very high quality ruby port. Because again, this is a vintage. This is something the producer saw and said, these are really good grapes. This is going to make really good wine. And these are still going to be you know, fairly pricey as well. Uh, but the unfiltered ones are age-worthy, just like a vintage port. Because the lack of filtration will help with, you know, the ageability of the wine. Then we have our single Quinta vintage ports. This is just a vintage port from a single Quinta or estate. So um, if you have your little winery vineyard plot over here and you declare a vintage only from that plot, that'll come out as a single Quinta vintage port. Then we have our Colheita, which uh, if you remember, Madeira also has Colheita, but this is a little bit different. This is going to be barrel aged for a minimum of seven years, but these are often aged for decades. Oh, wow. Yeah. How Um, expensive are these guys? I don't know because I've never seen one in real life. (laughs) And I didn't want to look because I didn't want to make myself sad. I'm going to look in order to make myself sad. Yeah. Um, So again, these are a vintage port and these will have the vintage year and the bottling year on the label because these are also meant to be drunk pretty much as soon as they're purchased because again all of that aging that needs to happen has already happened under the producer's supervision oh they're not that bad they're not that bad at all it's like 51 dollars oh okay yeah i was i was scared there for a second i was thinking oh this is going to be like 100 dollars or more 
I mean, I'm sure that there are others uh, with more prestige or something that oh, I'm sure, are more yeah. expensive. But the yeah. higher level houses are probably charging more. Yeah, but yeah, you can totally get a Colheita port for fifty one dollars. Well, uh, so that kind of wraps up vintage ports. So then we move on to white port. I just wanted to throw this in here in case you run across it. These are going to be made primarily from the Donzelhino Branco, the Escana Cao, Folgasau, Gauveo, Malvesia Fina. Rabiagato and Viosino. Rabiagato or Rabigato? Oh, Rabigato, excuse me. I can't read, apparently. Yeah. Uh-huh. Especially Portuguese. It's your birthday, you don't have to read. <laughs> I'm, I've been sipping on this Verdello, you know, I'm, I'm tipsy, that's my excuse. <laughs> uh, this is so good. It, it is so hard not to just continually reach back for this glass. Yeah, well, hey, listen to our Madeira episode if you want to know what it's like. But anyways, uh, continuing on, what styles does Whiteport have? So these can range actually from dry to sweet. Typically, though, a kind of common flavor profile will be apple, your citrus, and nutty flavors from aging. I don't know exactly what can and cannot be white port. I did not look at that, and I'm just now realizing that. Um, I'm assuming probably most of the same bottling terms apply, but I'm not totally sure on that, so don't quote me on that. Now, you have a couple of styles down here that I just, I've never heard of. And, And that is why they're last. The first one is rosé. This is a pretty recent style. Uh, it's made the same way as a regular rosé wine would happen. So if you don't know, that's going to be a very short time that the red grapes will spend in contact with the skins. And then when a little bit of color has been leached out, they're then drained off the skins and the fermentation either starts or continues if it's already started on the skins in a separate vessel. Which, you know, if you listen, because did we do a rosé episode? I'm pretty sure we did. We covered it in, in the red, red wine. wine. Yeah, that's correct. It's not just leaching out a little bit of color. Those are also aromatic compounds that mm-hmm. are coming out of the skins, which is what transforms those white wine flavor profiles to your more berry, strawberry type flavor profiles. Exactly, yeah. So this is going to be lighter overall, um, still high alcohol, still punchy, but just Mm -hmm. a lighter profile. Then we have our crusted ports. This is also a pretty recent style that's been developed in the past couple of decades. This is a blend of vintage wines, and it's made to imitate the vintage style. So that really like high quality port style, but at a lower price point. I'm very okay with that. Yeah. So these are going to be aged two to three years in large casks. These are also unfiltered, so they will throw a deposit. But as far as I read, you are not expected to cellar these like you would a vintage port. But considering that they are unfiltered, probably could go for a while at least. I'd be interested to know how long they could go and how much improvement would happen. Maybe we'll do some research and do a crusted port tasting for you guys. Yeah, no, that would be a lot of fun. We don't have any port to try because yeah, we, we are still our, sipping our, our budget. Hey, yeah. Well, yeah, and our budget, uh, but also this is delicious. Yeah, no, we are, we're currently still sipping on the Madeira that we got for our last episode. And if you know anything about both of these drinks, hopefully you've learned a little bit in the course of the past two episodes. Yeah, they're both very expensive, so so we're good on that. We're, yeah, we're fine. Yeah, we this, we paid what fifty for this bottle. Yeah, yeah, plus a ten dollar tip. You should always pay for the expertise. So, yeah, we we don't have a port for you. But some that I can name that I find to be fantastic brands like Offley, Quinta das Carvajas. I think it was a, a couple of Christmases ago that I ended up getting my first just 20-year tawny. 
mm-hmm. from from the Quinta dos Carvajas, and it was absolutely delicious. Yeah. They, Costco carries. Oh, sorry. Go oh, ahead. no, no, no. Oh, please. Costco carries a brand. I believe it's called like Francesco, if I remember correctly. Mm, I've um, never had them. But it, it's it's a just a ruby port. It's nothing special. It's only I think it's either at or a little bit below twenty. So it's oh, a okay, pretty affordable wine. Um, but for what it is, it, listen, ruby port's not bad. I'm not trying to make it sound disparaging, but it is kind of like the lowest on the quality scale in terms of port. Um, but that's a delicious wine. If you want something fruity, fresh, but still that kind of heavy dessert profile, that's a really solid wine. Yeah. And that is typically when you are going to be drinking your port. You want this at the end of a meal yeah. as a desert teeth. Yeah. Um, Some of the tawnies like can go with maybe more um like duck or or I could see it going those, with beef wellington. Yeah, like those not sweet meat dishes, but like that more savory profile, that creamy savory profile yeah, can like go a, well with a tawny. A bit I would not drink a ruby with it, though. Oh, no. Yeah. No, no, no. That I would say, I would say ruby is pretty exclusively for dessert. Great um, on top of chocolate ice cream. I've oh, heard, yeah. I've heard that hack a couple times. Yeah, no, that it, it is really lovely with yeah. that as well. Also, just with like fruits, especially mm-hmm. dried fruits, because yeah. sometimes fresh fruits can be just a little bit too acidic. Mm-hmm. But your dried fruits, your nuts, you know, anything that you might have after a meal, just something light and also great for special occasions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, unless there's anything else, I believe that is it for port. Yeah. Gabe and I are headed to a little special event. Yes. A little uh, a little class type deal. Going to try some unusual wines. Yeah. So super excited about that. And everybody should wish Gabe a happy birthday on Instagram and Twitter. By the time that this comes out, it'll probably be, what, three weeks? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But but go ahead and give him a little happy birthday anyway. And give us a follow at LaidBackLush on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you guys so much for being with us. I've been Gabe. I've been Michael. Cheers. Cheers.